the speed once again, and he's, oh my goodness, that is huge. It's a white flag for the Cuban. Freddie Tadbo for the posterity. Hi everyone, and I really want to welcome you all, track and field athletes, coaches, fans, and everyone else, to TrackCast by Triple Jumpers, with me, your host, Marcus Lundmark. A bit over five years ago, I founded Triple Jumpers as an Instagram page, sharing videos and photos of Triple Jumpers all over the world. In 2018, I started to interview triple jumpers and coaches in the Triple Jumpers podcast, but from now on, I will talk to some of the best athletes and coaches within all events of track and field under our new name, TrackCast by Triple Jumpers. This week, I start by talking to a living legend, blind long jump world record holder, Lex Gillette. Lex loses sight at the age of 8 years old, and eventually started track and field, specializing in the long jump. He quickly became really good and won his first Paralympic medal at the age of 19. Now, 16 years later, he's a four times consecutive world champion, four times Paralympic silver medalist, world record holder, and he got three more silver medals and two more bronze medals from the Para World Champs. Moreover, he's a singer and a motivational speaker who lives by the mantra, no need for sight when you have a vision. Lex is a fantastical, inspiring person, and over the next hour, you will hear him talk about so many crazy good things, and all that he says is really spot on. So, enough talking, let's just jump into the first episode of this new reformed podcast, Trackcast by Triple Jumpers, featuring Lex Gillette. Welcome to the show, Lex Gillette. Ah, I appreciate it. How are you? I'm fine. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Uh, are you able to train right now due to the <laughs> coronavirus or do you need to practice at home? Uh, yeah, I'm just practicing at home right now. So trying to get in as much uh, training as I can inside of my place and uh, been doing as much as I can. So hopefully things will start to clear up soon. How much are you, you able to do? I mean, you you can't really do long jumps at home, I guess, if you don't have a long <laughs> right. jump pit, but how much can you do? Or is it just base work or what do you do? Yeah, I mean, I've been doing a lot of... Um, I've hit the stationary bike for workouts, do some med ball stuff, resistance bands, running stairs. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, you know, getting out and doing drills and things like that. So haven't been able to do any jumping specifically, but fortunately the games have been moved to next summer. So uh, I could just focus on staying in shape at the moment. And then once they, allow things to go back to normal, then I'll get back out there and and, and get back to it. Yeah, because the Paralympic Games was rescheduled to 2021. Um, what are your yeah. thoughts on that? 
Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely happy. Um, I think at the end of the day, you want to make sure that everyone is safe and healthy. And at this present time, you know, things just aren't in, I mean, we're not in a position to be able to go out there and guarantee that everyone's going to be good. So um, definitely glad that it was pushed back. And at the end of the day, it's just more time that you have to work on things that you need to work on. So that's what I'll do. Yeah, that's the right way to to look at it, to to feel like you have more time to to prepare for for the games. Right. Yeah. Yep. Okay, Lex. So you have a mantra or like a statement that that goes like this: uh, "No need for sight when you have a vision." Tell us about what that means to you. Yeah, no need for sight when you have a vision is basically sight is never the sole, only determining factor in our success. It is being able to see a vision being able to see things before they exist and then being able to develop a plan, set some steps into bringing that vision into fruition and then just getting out there and working as hard as possible to turn it into reality. And, um, you know, the cool thing about vision is never for any one specific person. It's, it's supposed to change the world. It's supposed supposed to change so many people in your lives, and and uh, you know I have a lot of people who help me out, and anything significant in life always involves others. So when you start to connect with other people who who can see what you see, and you guys band together and put all of your strengths and abilities together, next thing you know, you're able to accomplish major things, and. A lot of times a vision is a major team, a major thing because it's there to, you know, it changes cultures, it changes perceptions, it changes the world. That's amazing. Uh, so you try to, to live, uh, live by this mantra for, for every day of your life. Yeah. I mean, a vision, vision, it, it, it like, it gets me to roll out of bed every day. So right now I want to go to Tokyo and win gold and, I know I'm not able to do everything that I'm usually doing at the moment, but still being able to put in some sort of work and then just trying to be the best that I can be in terms of you know, everyday, everyday living, whether that's speaking or, you know, hanging out with friends or just whatever it is. I think that there's always something special about each day and being able to, to look at it that way and, and discover the amazingness of the 24 hours in the day is, is, you know, it's exciting. You always have to strive for being the best person you, you possibly can. So, yeah. Okay. So for those who doesn't know who you are, could you tell us a bit about uh, yourself and how you got into track and field? Yep. I am. I'm originally from North Carolina in the United States. And, uh, well, first and foremost, I'm a Paralympic track and field athlete. I primarily compete in the long jump right now and the, in the hundred meters, I used to compete in the triple jump as well until they removed that from the Paralympic calendar. And, uh, then I also was a part of our four by 100 meter relay team and they, they've changed that as well. So, 
Um, I stick to the jumping events for the most part, but I am originally from North Carolina. I grew up with sight up until I was eight years old. And when I was eight, I started experiencing sight loss just randomly out of the blue, no accident, nothing crazy happened. I went to the doctor after an examination, they said I needed to have an operation because I was suffering from retina detachments. And that led to a string of 10 operations I had the year that I was eight years old. And after the last one, the doctor said that there was nothing else they could do to help my sight. And they said that I would eventually become blind. And uh, it was a matter of, you know, once I had um, had that last operation, it was going home, go through my normal routine, go to sleep at night, and then I would wake up the next morning. And each day I would see a little less than what I did the day before until one day I woke up and I couldn't really see much of anything. Uh, but um, yeah, after I had lost my sight, uh, it was tough. I had a transition from being able to see to not being able to see and having to adapt and adjust. And I eventually found out about sports when I was in high school. And there was a teacher who had introduced me to track and field. He noticed that I was really good at jumping. And so he told me about the Paralympic Games and potentially being able to go and, and compete and represent the United States of America and compete in front of thousands of people and win medals and all of that sounded really cool it sounded really exciting so I began to uh train for it it was tough in the beginning because <laughs> I just didn't really understand how I would be able to do it and so for everyone out there as a jumper who's blind I have a guide who stands at the takeoff point so if I'm competing in long jump he's standing near the long jump board and if I'm competing a triple jump he stands near the triple jump board. And so he's clapping and yelling, fly, 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 fly. So that gives me an idea of where I need to run and jump from. I remember how many strides I take. I run as straight as possible to the sound of his voice. And at the right time, I jump. And if it's long jump, then, you know, I jump and land in the sand. If it's triple jump, then I would, you know, take that, that jump the first phase hit the second phase, initiate the third phase, and then land into the the sand pit. Um, but yeah, in the beginning, it was, it was hard because I had to trust someone. And you don't really, it's hard to put your trust in someone's hand, especially with, with you doing something totally new, something that's out of your comfort zone. And uh, I just had to get to a space where I could not only trust him, but trust myself and trust myself to, to literally get out there and give it a shot. It's a, it's, I can only imagine how, how tough it would be for, to lose your sight when you were eight years old and, and having your whole life ahead of you. So I guess it would be, would be easy to just, you know, give up and not yeah. really, not really do anything with your life, but you have really shown uh shown the opposite um what motivated you to to do something and to keep doing keep doing normal things uh while you couldn't see yeah i think a lot of it 
was my mom and she really challenged me and and pushed me and encouraged me to get out there and and still be you know, just a just do the average things that average kids do at that age. And uh, I think her main goal for me was just making sure I could go into the world and be successful and live on my own and be independent. So none of the sports things happened until later. But by that time, my mom had already, you know, taught me how to like take care of myself and clean the house and wash dishes and take out the trash and cook food and things like that. Um, I learned how to navigate around. I learned how to use my ears, use my listening more. I learned how to just understand my awareness and and where I was in space. Um, and really just like learning my body and, and learning the environment that, that I lived in and learning the school that I used to go to and getting to the point where I frequented those places so much that it almost felt like I began to be able to see, see those particular areas. Um, and again, my mom just really challenged me to get out there to explore, to discover, to figure out new things. And after a while, you know, you just adopt that type of mindset and mentality. And my mom definitely had like a, like a no excuses type attitude. So I could never use my blindness as a crutch or as an excuse. That was not an option growing up. So I had to figure out a way to be successful. Okay. And do you think that the fact that you, you have been able to see before, do you think that helped you in your, in your new life when you, when you were blind? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think having conversations with people, when when I talk to them, they may bring up certain things and I can remember what they look like, especially colors. So blue, red, green, black, yellow. If people say those things, I automatically imagine what what that looks like because I remember what colors look like. And had I never seen anything, had I been born blind, you know, how would you literally, you know, teach someone what those colors look like if they never seen them it will be more of you know having some sort of feeling or uh you know seeing attached to the colors instead of them literally knowing what it looks like so um yeah i definitely think that having had sight helped me out yeah that's great so your uh, your athletic career started out when you when you went to high school and when you were only 17 years old you won your first u.s title in the f11 long jump so f and t11 is uh, the classification for totally blind people and two years after that at the age of 19 you won silver at the paralympic games with uh, a jump of 624 how did it feel to make these two really big achievements uh with the really f- hard things uh, that you had been been through before and while still being so young yeah it was it was a lot of fun it was very rewarding to to uh man i, I forgot about that uh that title when i was 17 but um yeah i mean it was it was fun and it was exciting to win that because 
first and foremost, it feels good to win, but then it lets you know that the work that you're putting in, it lets you know that it's paying off. And, um, and when I went to my first Paralympics, my mom was there, my grandmother, my first coach and his wife, they were all in the stands. So to have them there, the core group of people who helped me get to that point in life, that was really special. And was that the moment you decided to to continue with track and field and to really push it and see how how good you could be? Yeah, I knew that it was something that I really wanted to be involved in. So um, for sure, once I had gotten back from Athens, I continued through college. And once I graduated from college, then I started to train and compete full time, full time. Okay. And after your first Paralympic medal in 2004, as you said, you continued to, to compete and, and, uh, and to really stick with, with track and field. And when you won silver at the 2016 Paralympic Games in, in Rio, you took your fourth Paralympic silver medal in a row. Are you happy with, with, your, with all of your Paralympic Games performances or do you feel like you you didn't quite did all that you could in in any of them i think that of course of course you always want to win gold right but i think that it definitely feels good to get on the podium and you know as it stands right now getting the gold at the games is is probably the only thing left that i have to do i think you know i've won world championships last year in 2019 and so That was the fourth time that I had won world championships in a row. But uh, yeah, I got to break the silver streak with the launch jump at the Paralympic Games. And so to answer your question, I would say that, you know, I don't have any, I don't think back to any of them and, and say that, I guess, have any regrets per se. Um, in 2008, um, that was probably the only one where I was kind of like, oh, man, Um because I, I made a mistake with some of my steps. And so, uh, you know, when I jumped, I jumped from the incorrect location. And although, you know, I still made it into the pit, I was behind the board. So it cut off some of my distance. So I'll never know what that jump would have been. I think that it was huge. I think that it was good. But that's just a part of competition. You you move on from it and and, you know, you learn from it. But Um, I will say Rio stung the most because I felt like there were some outside factors that contributed to not only my performance, but to a lot of my competitors' performance. Um, and I think that there were definitely factors that could have been controlled and I asked for them to be controlled, but for whatever reason, it just didn't happen. So, you know, it is what it is. It's 2020. Um, I'm healthy. And I'm training, you know, as hard as I can right now. But once we get back out there, I'll, I'll resume to what I'm used to doing and what I normally do. And we'll shift focus to winning gold in Tokyo. So winning gold in Tokyo next year is your, your main goal. And when you train at this, this very hard level uh, and this very high level that you do, um, the pressure from others and from in, within yourself can be very high and very intense. 
do you have you ever felt like you've had too much pressure on yourself? Nah, nah, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say that. Um, I think that you know, of course, whenever I go to a competition, I feel like there's you know, some level of pressure, I guess, if you will. Um, I don't think that it's anything that anything that's unbearable. I think you know, I guess first and foremost, I've been to the games four times, so uh, I, with each time, it's kind of like, oh, okay, well, I've been here before. And whatever pressure that may be there is just like, all right, well, this is another opportunity to get out here, compete well, and win gold. Um, yeah, I don't ever feel like I'm competing and am unable to you know, do what I need to do. I never feel like the pressure just cripples me from, um, you know, it just stifles me and, and keeps me from competing to the best of my ability. But um yeah i mean again i mean it's it's been a place where i've been many of times and and even though that is the case every time that i step out there it's like oh this is you know it's almost like a a brand new experience an opportunity um because at the end of the day i'm appreciative of it and there's only a, a certain number of people in the world who ever get that opportunity so with each time it's like man this is this is it this is what you train for but um once i get moving get warmed up and uh you know start running around it's 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 time to work and everything kind of is behind me from there some sort of pressure um could also be very good for you in in order to uh, peak your performance yeah when it comes to world championships then as you said before you you've won four consecutive gold medals from 2013 to 2019 how does it feel to to be a four time world champion and not only four times but four times in a row it feels really good yeah i mean it's definitely uh it's it's exciting it's again just the result of what can happen when you put in work and when you get out there and trust the plan and execute the plan. Um, and so just, just like the Paralympic games, all of those world championship titles, they, they all have a, a certain story behind them. Um, and, you know, fortunately I've been able to come out on top with the, the last four consecutive world titles. So it uh, feels good. And, you know after after Tokyo I'm look forward to trying to get that fifth one in a row as you said before you have a guide that uh, the claps for you and and in order to make you run straight to the board so yep. but in in 2015 at the world championships you you made a jump that went viral because you got distracted by by the crowd or something and landed outside the pit crashing into the board uh, the board that shows uh, the distance so that one must have hurt didn't it yeah 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 no I definitely did it, it certainly didn't feel good um and yeah to your point it was definitely a lot of there was just the crowd noise and then when you're inside of these stadiums at times when you have someone that's clapping and yelling it creates a an echo throughout the building and so 
it was making it hard to kind of pinpoint where exactly my guide was was standing. And when I jumped, I jumped and veered to the right hand side. When I landed, I landed on the on the side of the long jump pit. And yeah, it definitely hurt. But I went to the I went to the medical officials and and got some um, like a bandage for my arm. And then I had to get some more tights because my tights had torn when I landed on the ground and went back to the, the jump area. And I know I, I had one jump remaining. And while I was at the, the medical tent, um, I had missed my fifth attempt. So by the time I got back, they were going into the sixth round. So I had one more jump, but the main thing for me was I wanted to make sure that my guide was okay. You know, he can actually see what's going on. And that's one of my really good friends. I mean, we're like brothers. So I think the biggest thing was just wanting to just wanting to let him know that I was okay. And to let him know that I still had the utmost amount of trust in his abilities. And, uh, you know, things happen like that. I know that when I step on the runway, there's a possibility that something could go wrong and I could get hurt, but that doesn't scare me. It's still, you know, I got, I want to go out there and I want to win. So the last jump that I had at the 2015 world championships was my best jump of the series. And, uh, we were able to get on the podium and stand at the top. Yeah, that's amazing. And your guide is called Wes Williams. Isn't it? Yup, yup, Wesley, yup. How uh, how long have you worked with him? We've been working together for 13 years. Wow, it's a long time. It uh, is. And your coach, it's uh, Jeremy Fisher. Yup. That's cool. I, yep. I've actually had him on on the podcast uh, a year ago or something. Oh, you did? Yeah, <laughs> yeah coach, coach Fisher. He's he's a cool guy, and uh, our group. I mean, there's. We have a number of, of studs in our group. We have Will Clay and Brittany Reese and Chris Bernard. And uh, I mean, we have definitely a lot of, uh, you know, top-notch athletes, Toby Fahimi and Marquis Price. Those are some other Paralympians. And yeah, I mean, we have a really great group. And Coach Fish, he's, uh, you know, he heads everything up and makes sure that we're in the best position to succeed. Yeah, it's a really, really great group uh, training in the in the Olympic training center. Yeah. Okay, so apart from your four gold medals in the long jump at the World Championships, you also have a silver from 2006 and uh, a bronze in the 200 meters and a triple jump from 2011 and uh, silver medals uh, from the triple jump and 4 by 100 meters in 2013. How do you feel about doing other events like sprinting and triple jumping? Do you enjoy it? I love triple jump. Triple jump was a lot of fun. Also, I wish they still had it in the on the Paralympic schedule um, because I was just I was literally getting into my zone and getting ready to put out some big ones, I believe. And uh, so, you know, unfortunately, they took it away. Can't really control that, but. Um, the 200, I remember when I had medaled in that, that felt really good because I've always been known as a jumper. But to be able to hop into 
some some sprinting events and and showcase the speed. That was really that was really good. And to get on the podium was was really nice. And uh, with the relay events, it's always always fun to be able to succeed with your teammates. So, you know, anytime that I can get on the podium and, and, you know, preferably gold, but uh, again, there's a lot of people and a lot of athletes out there who compete and only three people can get on the podium. So, you know, I, I appreciate every time that I get up there. Yeah. What, what happened to the, the triple jump and the, you said the four by 100 meters was removed also? Well, they changed it. So they have, it's kind of like a mixed class now. So they have athletes from four different classes that compete. When we competed in it, it was all visually impaired athletes on, on one team versus other visually impaired teams from around the globe. Okay. And the triple jump, it was completely cut off? Yup, yup. How come that? Was it, what was it? Um... I think they wanted to make more events available to other classes. And so in order to do that, I think they had to cut out some of the events from other classes and make room for, for, um, you know, add additional events to some of these newer classes that were coming in. Okay. Because the, the Paralympic games, it's, it's a lot of classes. So I guess it's, It's a lot of athletes competing. Yeah. You have to schedule all the competitions. Okay. And uh, you also have the world record for the T11 classification. Uh, you first broke it in, in 2011 with uh, 673, and then you added uh, four centimeters in 2015 with 677. Describe the feeling of being the best long jumper of all times. Ah, oh, it feels good. That's a really that's a really great feeling. Again, it just lets you know that you uh you know you've been putting in some really good work. And I know when I had broken it the first time, I think it was a 19 year old record. Um so and the and the other interesting thing about that is it had been set the year that I had lost my lost my sight. So wow. that definitely had some, uh, you know, some meaning to it. But um, yeah, first time I had broken it, it was really, really nice, felt great. And, uh, you know, from there, you know, each time that I could, you know, tie it or, or break it, I mean, it's always good. Again, it just lets you know that your work is, is going as planned and, Let's me know that Coach Fish is doing a good job. Yeah, uh, I read somewhere that you you have jumped six eighty five for an American record, but because it oh yeah, so I have a yeah, but the event was not a Paralympic sanctioned meet, so okay. um, so you know you, it wouldn't be able to count as a as a record. Okay. But okay, yeah, I'll just have to but do it, it in a but just it was, have to do it in a competition. But it was counting as an American record, anyhow? That part, I'm not even sure if you would be able to classify it as an American record since, again, it wasn't, uh, you know, sanctioned under the Paralympic umbrella. Yeah, okay. So, your 
your career has had its ups and downs as as always in a career what has been the best moments of your career and the the worst moments of your career so far and what have you learned from them uh best moment of my career i would say I mean, last year's world championships was certainly a a great time i have broken a 17 year old championships record so that was pretty exciting that was nice it was nice to win my fourth world champion title in a row um i think that the 2015 world championships the one where i landed on the side of the long jump pit that was you know most people might feel like that was a a bummer of sorts but it was that was actually a good thing i think i learned a lot about myself and learned a lot about wesley and i's and i i um our connection and in our in our team um i think that uh you know 2016 was although i did get on the podium that was the competition where i really felt like i was going to win a gold and that to not happen in the way that it happened that was uh that was tough it was definitely a, a challenging time but again i think that the beauty of it is being able to have an opportunity to go to tokyo next summer and be able to literally wipe all of that away winning the gold medal would be that would be everything and i would be able to i'll be able to move on for the rest of my life and be like, you know what? I'm good. <laughs> like, I don't, you know, I don't need to prove anything else. There anything else after this is just icing on the cake. But I think ultimately at the end of the day what this all has taught me is that when you have when you have that vision and you have an amazing group of people who see it just as clearly as you and who are just as devoted and dedicated as you it can help you soar and fly to places in life that you would have never imagined. Yeah, I'm I'm experiencing a lot from an athletic standpoint, but everything that I've been able to accomplish on the track has helped me in so many ways um off of the track as well. So it's uh you know, these moments are going to, you know, continue to help me soar in life from now until until I'm not here anymore. And uh and that's a beautiful thing. That's beautiful. You know, track and field does so much for people not only on the track, but as you said, does does so much off the track also. We're gonna jump into a new segment of the podcast. It's it's like a little quiz where we'll see how much you know about the track and field history. Uh so This one is oh, a little bit about <laughs> the American history and a little bit about the Paralympic history. I'm about to get exposed. Okay. <laughs> so, it's five questions and the first one is so in in 2016 you won the silver medal at the Paralympic Games, but how many track and field medals did the US took in total? Oh, I should know this. Uh, 42. Yeah, it is. <laughs> That's great. And uh, who is the most decorated 
uh, track and field athlete at the Paralympic Games? Who has the most medals? Uh, American or just overall? No, overall. Overall? Um, oh, my gosh. Um, I am going to say... <laughs> I'm gonna say Tatiana McFadden. It isn't. It is Bart Dodson. He's actually okay. from from America. He has 20 medals and he's a wheelchair racer. Okay. Competing from 1984 to 2000, so it was before your time. Right, right, right. Yeah. Okay. The third question. Uh, you compete mostly in in the long jump, but you've also competed in the triple jump before. Uh, what is the T11 world record in the triple jump? I is it is it thirteen seventy something? Yeah, so it is thirteen seventy one. Uh, okay, held by the Chinese Li Duan. Yes, yes. Okay, and you've also been been sprinting. Uh, so, what is the American record for the men's two hundred meters in in your classification? I am going to say twenty-two forty-four. I believe it's close. It's twenty-two twenty-nine. Uh, David Brown in twenty sixteen. Okay. Okay, and uh, the last question is a for the for the Olympics, not the the Paralympics. It's that the U.S. has been very dominant in the long jump throughout the Olympic history, and when counting both male and female Olympic champions in the long jump, how many of them are from the U.S.? Um, both women and male. Um, I am going to say... Uh, I'm going to say eight. It's a lot more. It's 25, actually. 25? Hey, I have no... I'm counting... My counting is all the way off. Yeah, so I I believe from the first uh, Olympic Games in... But that was 1896 until now, huh? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay, so, yeah, so yeah. I, I believe... No, I, from, I was counting. I believe from, from 1896 to 1940 or something, the U.S. took all the medals in the men's uh, long jump. Okay, yeah. I, I counted the... I had the Jesse Owens one, but I wouldn't have gotten everybody else from that time. Um, but yeah, that's embarrassing. But I, <laughs> 25, I know now. Okay, let's let's talk a little bit about what you do when you're you're not training track and field. I understand you do a lot of other things as well. So tell us about what you're what you're up to when you're when you're not training. Yeah, when I'm not on the track, I do a lot of presenting and a lot of speaking for schools and companies and organizations. So inspiring people or talking about leadership development or uh, literally just trying to, you know, keep people uplifted and expose them to different things about life. Um, I like to, excuse me, I like music. So um, actually in the lead up to uh, Tokyo, just working on trying to record some some content for an album. So that should be fun. 
And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm in Southern California, so I like to uh, hang out and experience the outdoors and go to the beach sometimes and um, hang out with friends. Just have a good time. So you have at least two uh, musicians in in your training group. Will Clay is also uh, yeah. singing. Man, Will has been dropping music like crazy. Uh, you said you're you're a motivational speaker and, and speak about inspiration and leadership. Uh, also, how how come you you started with that? Um, when I had first, I had gotten thrown into it. I feel when I had first started competing, and naturally, people they want to know about you as an athlete and know how much you run and what's your what's your fastest hundred time, what's your fastest mile time what do you eat how much sleep do you get and i had gotten thrown into those types of things and eventually it was people asking me asking me about my blindness and how do i live life without being able to see and how do i how do i uh use my computer or use my cell phone and um at first it was something that i was I was definitely uncomfortable with because I just wasn't used to being front and center in front of people. And I wasn't comfortable in my own skin at the time. But ultimately, I just realized that at the end of the day, it's not about me when I'm speaking. It is about the people who are in the audience. And if there's someone, at least one person who can take something away from that time together and they can use that to positively change and alter their life then my job is done and uh you know to be able to to help people and and uh you know get people in a position where they can experience a similar type of success as me or or maybe even be more successful i think that that's a uh you know, that's a good thing so um i certainly don't think that life is intended for you to just live it solely for yourself. I think that giving things to others and, and helping them along the way is is needed because one day we're not gonna be here anymore and there'll be people walking the earth and they're gonna need to be able to know how to how to do it. So that's what really drives a lot of it for me. And do you have any do you have any tips on how to maximize the potential for like for those who, who listen to this podcast? I would say that, man, just expose yourself to just just a lot of things. I think specifically when you talk about track and field, just try new things because you never know what will be beneficial to you and your training and competition. Um, and a lot of times I feel like we get into the space where it's like, oh, okay, well, you know, I don't want to do this or I don't want to try that out. And sit back and ask yourself, Is there any sort of potential success or opportunity? Or are you just completely removing from your life by not trying something out? And, it, you know, I would imagine that it would be a, a tough feeling to move forward in life wondering like, oh, man, I wonder how much faster I would have been able to run or how much further I would have been able to jump or throw had I done this or had I tried this you feel better about yourself if you just go ahead and do things 
try things a little differently sometimes and do things out of your comfort zone because you never know how you never know how that might click for you and and change how you how you're able to perform yeah and you don't want to to stand there at the end of your career and and regret things that you didn't try and things that you didn't do you might regret decisions that you made but i think it's much tougher to to regret the things you wish you did yeah yeah now i, I would definitely rather end my career knowing that i tried something and, and failed at it than to to try or never try anything at all before we wrap it up i have some a few questions from from our followers as well so Fabrice Ploquin wants to know how many times per week do you train? I train five times a week. So Monday through Saturday. Okay. Also right now uh, during the virus and during the Oh, <laughs> right now it's a little different. But uh, you know, in a normal situation, we would definitely be out there, you know, Monday through Monday through Friday and sometimes Monday through Saturday, depending on what block of training we're in yeah so uh i guess in in the in the preseason you you train a bit more and during yeah. the seasons you do a little bit okay so then love in sports asks uh, you have accomplished a lot in the long jump uh, if you could try another event what would that be and yeah you said that the triple jump is removed so you can't choose the triple jump okay Uh, what event would I choose? I would choose the 400, but with the caveat though, I, I would say the 400 and, um, having had like started that from the beginning because the 400 is like, that's a different type of pain and a different type of training to, to be able to literally mash out and max out for one lap around the track. Like it's almost guaranteed every time that you compete in that, I know that it's going to hurt. I ran on the four by four really a couple times when I first got into Paralympic sport and uh, it was, it was bad. It was bad. But if I actually trained for it and started at an early age, I think that my mindset would be a lot different when, uh, you know, we're talking about the 400. Yeah. The 400 is, probably the most painful event within within the track and field yes <laughs> yes okay and then rita mota wonders if you had one advice to future athletes what would that be i'll say trust your trust your coach and trust the coaching i think that sometimes when you're first getting into the sport you just want to you want to go 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 all of the time and um and you know track and field is is very much i mean it's a, a lot of technical work it's a lot of of course you got to get out there and sweat and work really hard but um you got to know when to turn it on and when to turn it off and i think that when you're young it's hard to to grasp that but um if you trust your coach and know that you know they're kind of putting the plan out there 
in the best way possible to get you to the point where you need to be. I think you can trust in that and know that you'll be in the right, the right position in the right spot. So, yeah. Yeah. That's a really, really great advice and something that, that young athletes should, should definitely consider. The last question, um, if you could invite a guest to uh, the trackcast by Triple Jumpers, this, this podcast, who would you like to, to listen to? Uh, I would want to listen to, and does it have to be a Paralympic athlete or can I pick anyone? No, you can pick anyone. I recently changed the podcast before I, I only interviewed triple jumpers and triple jump coaches, but now I've opened it to, to interview all athletes, all track and field athletes and, and coaches as well. That's another tough one. Um, I mean, there's a lot of people out there to choose from. I would say, I would say Sandy Morris. Oh, yeah. I will hopefully, hopefully get her. On yeah, show. track her down. Yeah, I will. Okay, Lex, uh, thank you very much for joining the podcast. It was, it was really an honor to to listen to your your spectacular story and I've really learned a lot from from you today and I will take take many things with me from this session. Thank you very much and the best of luck in the future. Uh, I appreciate it Marcus. Thank you for having me on. Wow. I I don't really know what to say about this this podcast with Lex was really something else. He had so many interesting stories to listen to and I, I I believe he's really really clever it was amazing and I I really loved the part when he talked about motivation inspiration and to keep going that's something I will really take with me from this episode and I I think he he said a lot of great quotes that that really hit me really hit me I genuinely wish he get that goal in Tokyo to really prove that he is the best blind long jumper in the history of the event. So I got all my fingers crossed for Lex. And I really want to know what you think about this new format of the podcast where I interview athletes and coaches within all events of track and field. Also, if you have any tips on who you want to listen to, who I should interview. Send me those tips uh, through a DM on Instagram on Triple Jumpers or send an email to triplejumpers18 at gmail.com. Next week, I'm back with another episode, this time featuring the 2019 Diamond League champion in the Triple Jump, Shanika Ricketts. Make sure to stay tuned for that one. It's crazy good as well. So. See you next week. Until then, have a good time. Bye. Tremendous speed once again. And he's, oh my goodness, that is huge. It's a white flag for the Cuban. Fédit Tango pour la postérité.